Well, let's open up our Bibles to James chapter 2 this morning. So great to just have families uh, who love Jesus and to have this church family here that we get to gather together with today. We have a powerful portion of scripture to look at this morning. So as we are here, we want to just have our ears ready to hear what God is going to speak to us. We want to have our hearts wide open to what God will will give us in way of his truth. We, we want to also, not only that, but we want to have hands and feet that would be ready to live out what is in this book. Because we don't just want to be hearers of God's word, we want to be doers of God's word. Uh, would we not just speak, but would we also act upon what we have here? Would we not just say that we believe, but would we show that we believe in faith? And so this has been the main thrust of James's message, and it really comes to a pinnacle here in James chapter 2 in the last portion we're going to look at today, which is James chapter 2, verse 14 through 26. So let's read this together. It is one of those sections of Scripture that just hit you between the eyes, you know? And so let's read it together and see what God will uh, say to us today. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. But as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. And God, we ask, Lord, that we would have a living faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your living word that tells us what that can look like. And I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to your people today. And for those who are not yet your people, you would bring them to yourself and you would save them. And God, we love you and we thank you for the work that you're going to do in and through your word. I also pray, God, we wouldn't just hear it, but today we would go out and we would live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, look at this. You don't want a dead faith, and you also don't want a dead iPad when you're about to preach the Word of God. So, you have a tablet too? I love it. Thank you, guys. You're the best. All right. So, um, wait a minute. Sorry. Got to find my place in my notes. Here we go. 
All right. So here's what we want to remember, guys. We want to remember that what James has been teaching through here in this book has been for the family of God. He continues to make his appeal to the brothers and sisters in the Lord. He says there right in the first part of our section, verse 14, my brothers. He's talking to those who have a certain level of spiritual understanding. He's talking to those who um, have been born again, brought forth by the word of truth. They have recognized that that they need Jesus for salvation. And, and here's something that James recognizes. He recognizes that the people that he's talking to are gonna have a certain level of spiritual understanding. They're gonna, they're gonna know the things he's talking about. But he also realizes that in his teaching, there's gonna be some people who do not have understanding and that they do not belong to God's family because they have not believed in faith in Jesus Christ and received the gospel. And so James is wanting to speak to these people. He's wanting to speak to God's people, the people who have confessed their sins to God, to the people who have believed that Jesus paid the ultimate price to cleanse us of our sins by dying on a cross, people who have the confident hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that that because of that we've inherited eternal life. These are people who are indwelt by the spirit of the living God and therefore have a living and active faith in Jesus Christ who is our glorious savior, the one through whom we have access to the Father. These are the people that James is wanting to talk to. These are the people I want to talk to. I want to talk to saved people. And so that's what we just want to make sure of. That if you came to church today, praise God, but we want to know that you didn't just come to church, but that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's our goal every time we gather is that people would come to know him in that way. And so again, this is family business that we've been talking about here on Sunday mornings. And the Bible is living truth for living people. And so do you, do you know God? Are you alive in Christ? Let's make sure of it. You know, for me, I want to make sure that I know Jesus and that I am known by Jesus. And if you don't know God yet, today you're going to hear about him. (laughs) And if you do know him as God, today you're going to be reminded to be living for him. That, That because you belong to God's family, you are going to be one who hears Jesus's words and does Jesus's words. And so now James leads off this section with a question. It's the reason why I've been asking these questions. Do you know God? Because what questions do is questions engage us. It engages the mind. And so James is going to lead off with a question in this letter. And this question is sort of rhetorical. It's, it's the, the answer is obvious because the answer is already found in how the question is being asked. So look with me at this question in verse 14. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Now the answer is clear, right? What good is it to say you have faith but you don't have works? It's not good. It's not good at all. See, a faith that is genuine is going to produce something. A faith in God that is real is going to have works that will be shown in the way that you live. 
This is recognized all throughout Scripture. And James will now make a case for how a person who has a living faith or a genuine faith or an active faith, whatever you want to call real faith, that sort of faith is going to have works to show for it. What are works? Works are outward deeds that demonstrate this, that what has happened inside of you is real, that Jesus has changed you and therefore you are living a changed life. Now, I kind of wonder if, if anyone is surprised or unsettled by this section of Scripture. See, we should not be surprised or unsettled by the fact that a life that has been surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ is going to look different as a result. It's simple. A saved person is going to live a saved life. What you once were is not who you are now. What you have been is not who you are becoming. You are in Christ now, and so you are meant to be what you are. You're you're a Christian. You're a Christ follower. And if Jesus has changed you, and he's changed you, hasn't he, in his love and in his grace, you're now in that process of becoming more and more like Jesus as you live and walk with him. There's been a change that has occurred. You were dead, but now you're alive. You were blind, but now you can see. You were lost, but now you're found. You are stained with sin, but now you are clean. Right? And so, here's the thing. On and on, the Bible goes, and it tells us of the various ways that this profound change has happened in in a person's life who's come to Jesus. If you've come to Jesus, a change has occurred. Because we've received the free gift of salvation and we have a loving response to his grace. So have you come to Jesus for life yet? Have you become what the Bible calls a new creation in Christ? That you have been born again by the Spirit. And if you've come to Jesus, then good works are going to flow out from your life as a result. So brothers and sisters, this is not some new and foreign concept to your ears, is it? shouldn't be if you're a child of God. And if it is foreign, it might mean you're still outside the family. And yet God's loving arms are open wide to receive anybody and everybody who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus spread his arms on the cross to save you from your sins. He welcomes you in today. You can believe in who Jesus is. He is God who became flesh. You can believe in what he did for you and that he died on a cross to save you from your sins. And he was buried, but three days later, he rose from the dead so that you can have the hope of eternal life in Christ. You can begin to experience the change that comes into your life by accepting Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit that dwells in you and then changes your life and the way that you live because you live in relationship with God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. So then, can we agree with James's message here? 
where he says, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? So James is using a word that is at least familiar to people who have been exposed to religion. You know, the great theologian George Michael said, you gotta have faith, <laughs> right? That, that didn't fall on a younger generation, right? That, but uh, you're like, you know that song? Yes. See, faith, faith is the belief in God's existence. Faith is saying, God is God and I am not. Now, my intention this morning is this. It's not to do an exhaustive study on the word faith, right? The Greek word pistis or something like that, and, or talking about the idea of faith. My desire for this morning is that everyone would do their own personal evaluation, their own exhaustive study of their soul to see if they really do possess real faith. And God's word today is going to help us evaluate this. We don't just want to talk about faith. We want to take hold of real, living faith. We want the kind of faith that pleases God. We want the faith that saves a soul, a living faith. Because James is saying here that there's the possibility of having a certain kind of faith, a faith that is not genuine and a faith that does not save, a faith that he calls dead faith. Dead faith is found when someone says they have faith, oh, I, I believe in God, but then there is no evidence of works that demonstrate that they really do have a living faith in the living God. Living faith is the only kind of faith that can please God and secure your soul. God accepts living faith. God rejects dead faith. Now, if someone says they have faith, but they do not have works, can that faith by itself save them? This is the question we're being asked. What kind of faith saves a person? So let's keep reading, verses 15 through 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So similar to last week, where we learned right from James this hypothetical situation where if a rich man and a poor man were to come into your assembly, how would you treat them? Well, we, we learned that you are not to show partiality. James gives us here another hypothetical situation where a poor man comes. You have this situation where someone is... Um, presented with the opportunity to help a person who is in need. We learned earlier in James that pure and undefiled religion is this, to care for those who are in need. Because as Christ's followers, we are called to follow Christ. We're called to do the stuff that Jesus did. And, and so we speak like Jesus we act like Jesus. We do the stuff that Jesus did. He becomes our Savior, but, but He's not just our Savior. He's also our Lord. And not only that, He's also our example. We follow Jesus. And so the situation is this, is that there is a brother or sister, poorly clothed, lacking in daily food. This poor person may come into your church. Perhaps they're even a child of God. Notice how James calls them a brother or sister. 
and they have a serious need. They're lacking food. They're lacking clothing. And so will you fulfill the royal law by loving your neighbor as yourself? If you love the poor person, then you will be led to do something to help their situation, right? We should not say to the poor person, hey, why don't you just stand over there, or better yet, why don't you sit on the floor? Nor should we say to the poor person, go in peace, be warmed and filled, but then not willing to give them the things that are needed to be warm and be filled. Because you see, food, food and clothing are simple provisions that make for peace. Hopefully you all ate today, maybe you had a mochi donut when you came in, you know, all clothed, you all looking nice. See, we can speak peace to someone. That's a start. By the way, some people need to just start there. Like, like <laughs> you just need to learn how to speak peace to somebody. But, but speaking peace to somebody is a nice start, but it, but it can't stop there. If you're going to speak peace to somebody, are you willing to offer the things that make for peace? What good is it to tell someone, be warm when they have no clothes to stay warm? What good is it to tell someone, be filled when they're lacking daily food to eat? So yeah, go ahead, like bless with peace, but, but will you also provide the resources to fulfill that blessing? James is saying, we don't just want to hear your nice religious words. Do you have any intention in following up your words with works? Don't tell me, show me, has been James's message. Now, Rather than us doing this, rather than us trying to find the loopholes in this situation, which we tend to be really good at, let's just take this hypothetical situation and agree with James that this kind of response to a poor person in need would not be good for someone who claims to have faith. It would not be good if we told a person, be warmed, be filled, but then we're unwilling to do any good work that would ensure that that becomes a reality. We don't just speak, we also act as disciples of Jesus. Now listen, I can can think right now of numerous occasions in my life where I missed the opportunity to meet a person's need because I cared more about myself. And that's not good. Thankfully, by God's grace, I have also had opportunities to make the good choice of helping people in need because I was following Christ. I I chose to live sacrificially and selflessly, and that's good. And so these are humbling things that James is presenting to us. These are things for us to each personally evaluate. And so we got to ask. Have you ever helped a person in need as a Christian? Have you ever fed a hungry person or clothed a poor person? Now, look, this is only one area of the many good works that someone may do in Christ's name. You know, we we can do all sorts of things that are good for people in the name of Christ, but, but look, helping people 
who lack basic needs such as food and clothing is certainly one kind of good work that God's people have been called to do. So are we doing it? And I will be the first to answer. I can do it more and more. See, we should never come to a text like this and say, got it, done. As Christians, we should always be wanting to grow more and more into Christ-likeness. Now, now saying that you have faith, but not having any works to show for it, like, like you, you're like, well, no, I've, no I'm, I've never done anything like that. That's not good. <laughs> saying to a person, be warned, be filled, and then not doing anything to meet the need, James is saying that is not God's way. What good is it to say something good and then to not do something good? Don't tell me, show me. If you're going to say it, do it. That's how James operates because having nice religious words with no living action to support it, that's never a good spot to be in. So verse 17 says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James comes to a conclusion here in verse 17. We have been asked a question and the answer is clear. We have been presented with a hypothetical situation and we know the right thing that we should do. And so a conclusion can be made then. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And dead is a word in the Bible that is never associated with anything good. See, the word we want to hear is living. Okay, fine. So Jesus died. That's good news. But it's only good because he rose again. You see, Jesus is alive. It's why we can have a living faith in the first place. Living, life, alive. That's what I want. I want to have a living faith because I have been created by a living God. A living faith is the only faith that pleases God and the only faith that can save your soul. A dead faith, which we could say is not really faith at all, cannot save your soul because it does not please God. Now, the difference between dead faith and living faith is works. A dead faith is faith by itself. There are no good works to show for your belief. A living faith is faith with works. There are good works to show for your real faith. Now, if there were to be a showdown between two people, one person has a living faith, the other person has a dead faith, what would that showdown look like? Well, James sort of paints the scene for us here in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And James like, no, no, we're not playing that game. You have faith and I have works. James says this, no, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So James is setting up here another hypothetical situation. It is a faith showdown. One person has dead faith and the other person has living faith. The person with dead faith says he has faith, but there's no works to back it up. There's no claim that he can make. The person with living faith says he has faith, and he's got some works to back it up. 
Now look, if you ever get into a showdown, you had better have something that you can show. <laughs> so here's the rules of the game. The first person to show their faith wins. Ready, set, go. But how can a person show their faith? You can't show faith by itself, that is. Faith exists inside of a person, right? Look, if, if I were to show you a still picture of a random person that you had never met before, can you tell me whether or not they have faith? You couldn't. Now, you might make some partial judgment and say, well, they don't look like they have faith, right? Hopefully, we've grown out of some partiality this week. But, but if you look at a still picture of a person you've never met, you, you can't say whether that person has faith or does not have faith. Why? Because they're, they're, that's not a livable thing. You, you've never seen that. And so, this is it. If you want to show that you have faith, which again, dwells within the heart and the mind and the soul of a person, that means faith needs to be made visible because faith by itself is not visible to the human eye. What makes faith visible to the human eye then? Works. When we can demonstrate it through livable action and say, oh, that person's different. That person is doing good. That is a way that you can show faith. So show me your faith apart from your works. What is there to see? I will show you my faith by my works. Now we can see something. So if anyone is not convinced yet, this is what James is going to do. He's going to move on from hypothetical situations. And he's ready to give some real life, concrete examples that show us that there's such a thing as dead faith and there's such a thing as living faith. He will give us one real-life example of dead faith, and he'll give us two real-life examples of living faith throughout the rest of our section. So in verse 19, we see a concrete, real-life example of dead faith. He says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. James isn't holding anything back here. In the next verse, he's even going to call this person who thinks that they can have faith without there being any works a foolish person. Because this person thinks that they can have faith, but without showing anything to point to say that it's genuine. So he's saying this. He's saying, you believe that God is one? You do well. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Wow, you know the Shema. You might even know that God is one, and yet in these last days, he has revealed himself in three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Wow, you, you get the Trinity. You're quite the theologian. You know, let's just do this. Let, let's, let's give you a quick test. Here's a list of questions about God's nature. Let's see how many of them you get right. Oh, wow. 100%, you have perfect orthodoxy. Well done. You believe God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now, 
listen, to every person in this room, and, and this includes the one standing at this pulpit right now, the demons are more convinced believers than any person in this room. The demons are better theologians than any person in this church. The demons have perfect orthodoxy. They believe all the right things about God, and they shudder. They tremble. That word shudder literally means God gives demons goosebumps. James says to us that demons, though, are an example of dead faith. Demons know the word of God better than any of us, but they don't obey any of it. Demons know that God is one. They even know that he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet they are working against God and against his people. They shudder at the presence of the real God in real faith. So demons make a great example of dead faith. Listen to this story in Mark chapter 1, verse 21 to 26. This, this is a real life story. This happened when Jesus began his ministry. One of the first things that happened in the gospel of Mark, he went into the synagogue. He went to church one day. It says, and they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. This man had a demon. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. There's another story in the book of Acts about demons that will tie into this. In Acts chapter 19, verses 13 through 16, there was some itinerant Jewish exorcist who undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, over those who had demons, saying, I will adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastering all of them and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So demons know about Jesus. And the sons of Sceva knew about Jesus. But listen, we don't just want to know about Jesus. We want to know Jesus and be known by Jesus. Why did the demons know Paul? And why did they not know the sons of Sceva? Because Paul had a relationship with Jesus. He had living faith because Paul was a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Who cares about the sons of Sceva? Paul didn't just believe facts about God with no relationship. That's how he used to be as a Pharisee. 
Paul's a Christian now. Paul lives out the truth with faith and obedience and personal intimacy with his God. Paul was known by God, and that made him known by demons. Now, some of you might say you believe in God, but as I started talking now about demons, you started questioning in your hearts whether demons are really even a thing. Do you even read your Bible? See, the devil loves when people come to church so long as they forget about his existence. Um, you know, this is heavy. James is saying, congrats. You know that the, the God of the universe is one. Well done. The demons believe that too. You know that Genesis is the first book of the Bible and Revelation is the last book of the Bible, but do you believe what you've read? <laughs> Better yet, are you living any of it? Because you can read the entire Bible and still not know God. There are people who know about God, but by their lives they demonstrate that they don't know God because they never do the things that God tells us to do. And in fact, they decidedly do the very things that God tells them not to do. Faith is not merely intellectual assent to facts. Faith is active obedience to the lordship of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and so verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? James isn't letting up here, and so neither am I. <laughs> um, you know, one day Jesus was speaking, and there were some people listening to his teaching, and the things that he was saying were pretty hard, and, and, and there were some people in the crowd who decided that day to leave and not come back. It says that they no longer walked with him, and they said, these things are too hard for us. And, and then Jesus even turned to his disciples, and he said to them, do you want to leave too? They answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So look, you can find a so-called church that will tell you what you want to hear. That if you believe in God on Sunday, it's okay that the rest of the week you're living like a devil. God loves you. Now, God does love you. God loves you a lot. God died for you. However, in this church, what, what seems just so plain in Scripture is that if your behavior is not matching up with the Bible, you might want to go back and read the Bible. Are you, are you going to respond to God's living word with living action? See, if you come to this church, you're going to get called out by the word of God. If you really think that you can keep on living like a demon, where, yeah, you know a few facts about God, but you remain active in sin rather than being active in faith, do you really think that God is going to accept that kind of faith? 
don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? James says, let me give you now two examples of living faith. Abraham, the father of faith, and Rahab, the prostitute, are going to be examples now of living faith. Living faith example number one is Abraham. Verses 21 to 23, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Now here's the thing, some of you may be new to the Bible because you're new to living faith. And you've, you've come out of a life where you've lived for self and you've lived for sin. You're saying, I want to live for Jesus. But you're, you're realizing you, you still don't have all the knowledge that there is to have as a Christian. You may not even know when I say Abraham who, you're, who I'm even talking about. And so, so let me touch on who this man Abraham is for a moment. And, and by the way, I just want to say this. Knowing about Abraham or any other person or fact of the Bible is not what saves you. See, there's a lot of people who know about Abraham, but they don't know Abraham's God because they don't have Abraham's faith. And so, who is this man, Abraham? He is the father of the Jews. God called this man and he made a covenant with him. God told Abraham one night that he was going to make him the father of many nations. And Abraham walked out of his tent one night and he looked up into the sky and he saw all the stars. And God said to him that as many stars are in the sky, which are too innumerable to count, so I will make your descendants be. Genesis chapter 15. And it says that Abraham believed God for this and it was counted to him as righteousness. His faith was alive, believing that God would do this. Abraham later on, after making a series of some terrible mistakes, which by the way, just because you come to faith doesn't mean you don't sin again. You have good works, but you also got some bad ones too. And Abraham is a testament to that. After sleeping with his maidservant, God ended up giving him the promised son through Sarah, and Isaac was born. And Isaac was the father of a man named Jacob, and Jacob was a man who was named Israel because he wrestled with God. And Jacob, or Israel, had 12 sons, and they became leaders over 12 tribes who later dwelled in a land that God had promised to them called the land of Israel Israel trip 2024, sign up today, shameless plug. <laughs> but Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, traces back his lineage to these people. So James is referring to Abraham's faith, and this is something that Paul also does too. Paul speaks about how Abraham was justified before he did any works. Because he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But James is speaking here about how Abraham was justified in his faith because his belief in God was demonstrated years later by a particular work. 
See, Abraham, like I said, had some good works. He also had some bad works after putting faith in God. Yet one example of a good work is when Abraham obeyed God and was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac on an altar up on a mountain. Genesis chapter 22. See, we know that God stopped Abraham from doing this and he provided the sacrifice. But what God was doing was he was testing Abraham's faith to see if Abraham was willing to do it, to see if he had a living and an active faith. Faith obeys God even when it doesn't make sense to us. Faith endures through trials and through testings and is proven worthy when it remains. So in verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. Now notice that James says that although Abraham did not go through the act of sacrificing his son Isaac on that altar on that day, in faith it was received by God as if he had offered up his son. Hebrews 11 says that figuratively speaking, God did raise Isaac from the dead. And this points to us about how Jesus, the Son of God, how the Father did actually follow through with offering up his Son on a cross, and he was raised from the dead on the third day. And just as Abraham's faith by faith offered up his son Isaac and received him back. What Abraham did by faith was a a picture and a foreshadow of what would come through Jesus Christ. Abraham was looking forward to this sacrifice that God would make through the Messiah. And then in verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, we're gonna come back to that verse in just a moment, but first we wanna talk about this second example, the example of Rahab the prostitute. In verse 25, it says, in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? You can go and read Rahab's story. I recommend it if you haven't read it before. It's in Joshua chapter two. When the people of Israel were coming in to conquer the land that God was giving to them, Joshua sent spies into this fortified city called Jericho, and they hid out in the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Now, Rahab didn't have a righteous background in, in any sense of what that word means. She was, a, she was a harlot. She lived in a brothel, and yet she feared God. She feared the God of Israel, and she did something about it. She, she hid the spies in her home and then helped them escape by night. She let them down from a rope through her window because she lived on the city wall, and it says that she was justified by her works. It showed that she really did believe the God of Israel. And then check this out. Jesus, the Christ of the Gentiles, traces back his genealogy to this prostitute. Both are examples of living faith. Abraham and Rahab both had faith and are both ancestors of our Savior, Jesus Christ. They are living and active examples of faith because they trusted in a living and active God. These works were done through them to reveal that they really did believe 
Now, as one final point to make sure that you know we're all really picking up on what James is putting down. Look at that last verse, verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. There's such a thing as a body that does not have a spirit in it. It's called a corpse. So also faith apart from works is dead. Let's not have corpse Christianity. <laughs> Let's have real faith, living faith, faith in Jesus. Now I said we would come back to verse 24. And this is a very important point of clarity that I really want to give today. In verse 24, it says, you see that as a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, this has been a controversial verse in the New Testament, and people have you know, written endless dissertations on what James was meaning here. Because what Paul writes in his letters, for instance, in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, he, he writes this, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Let's read those two together again, side by side. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Paul says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Are Paul and James saying two different things here? Is this a contradiction in our Bibles? No. Let me try to explain this to you the best way that I can. Paul and James, in their writings, are dealing with two different issues. Paul is dealing with people who say that good works are necessary before a person is saved. That is wrong. James is dealing with people who are saying good works are not necessary after a person is saved. That is wrong. Paul addresses the place of works before salvation, which is that they're not needed. James addresses the place of works after salvation, which is that they are needed. James and Paul both agree that salvation is a gift of God that is to be received by grace through faith. Salvation can never be earned by works, but salvation will be evidenced by works. James and Paul were, were in full agreement with one another and in full agreement with God. God chose Paul to contend for one issue, which was the place of works before faith, and God chose James to contend for another issue, which is the place of works after faith. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write Romans, and the Holy Spirit inspired James to write this letter, James. These are two apostles of Jesus Christ who do not have swords drawn on one another, but rather, these are two soldiers for Christ, as it were, standing back to back with their swords drawn toward the lies that come from two different fronts. Perhaps the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, has been drawn on you today, has cut you to your heart. See, works do not save you, but works will show that you are saved. Are you saved? 
Works have nothing to do with knowing about God, but works have everything to do with knowing God and being known by God. As it was said about Abraham in verse 23, he was called a friend of God. I think that's a great way to put salvation. Do you have friendship with God? Because obedience to God, obedience to his word is the living evidence of saving faith. It has been said before, you maybe heard it, some attribute it to Martin Luther. It says, we are saved by faith alone, but a faith that saves is never alone. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word that is true. And even like a scalpel cuts into those places of our hearts. And God, I pray that here this morning, we would respond to your living word with living faith. If there's anybody here today who realizes that they have not had real faith, today God is presenting to you the free gift of salvation that is to be received by grace through faith. You can't work your way into this thing, but God's gonna give it to you today if you wanna receive it. Just know it's gonna change you. And so, Lord God, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, speak to hearts right now that need to know you in this way. And if you need to know God in this way, would you just pray this prayer with me in the quietness of your own heart? Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner and that I can do nothing to save myself. God, I thank you that you saved me by coming to this earth to die on a cross. But you didn't stay dead. You rose from the dead. And in that life, you give me new life. I want to turn from my old way of living. And I want to turn to your new way of living. I pray from this day forward, I would be able to walk in your goodness, in your grace. That good things would come out of my life because of the change that happens right now. I receive you, Jesus as my savior. I accept you as my Lord. Thank you for being my friend. In Jesus' name. Did anybody pray that prayer for the first time to receive salvation as a gift of God? Just so we know you, so that we can get to plug you into this family of God that exists here. No? Okay. And if you prayed it, or if there's a sense of rededication, in your life, then, then, then let's go out, church. Let's live for him today. We're gonna all stand up and we're gonna close out with one final song.